Final dream is that we dream so that we are stretched beyond our abilities and utterly forced to trust God to move mountains, to change hearts, and to build His church. I was sitting there this uh, morning and I wrote down some names. It's uh, the unsung heroes kind of, of of what has built this place and in this community. And I think of Connor Miller and Josh Burke. We would have never had the musical talent or the art focus that we had if Connor and Josh hadn't been a part of Antioch from before the beginning. As Connor would like to say, uh, he was Antioch before there was Antioch um, in a humorous way, if you remember those videos and the parking lot video, um, which we're not going to show. Um, I remember driving to Portland with Josh uh, or with Connor to buy our first drum kit, which is still our drum kit. Um, and the things that they've done, Josh still running our sound and installing this screen with Kip this week um, so that we would be able to have this for the 10-year anniversary. John Paldachuk, who drove uh, the trailers for so many years uh, through rain, through snow, found places to park them, found ways to restore them when they were broken, um, and never let anyone know that he was doing it. Ken Michelson, who always was there to build sets to fix things that were broken, to help around the office, um, always lending a hand, never asking for anything in return. Ken and Laura Wong, Mr. and Mrs. Consistency. Um, and uh, this wouldn't be this place without them. The graphic arts, uh, Jason and Connie Gabbard, if you saw, if you see any of our sermon branding or the 10-year anniversary branding or any of that, Connie used to be on staff doing graphic arts, but both she and, and Jason contribute all of that stuff to Antioch. I was at a conference uh, this week, speaking at a conference for book publishers, and they handed out awards for book covers. And there was about a dozen or two dozen uh, publishers, Christian publishers, that won not a single award for any of the covers or, uh, that they had done for the books this past year. Uh, Connie Gabbert won three different awards just uh, in and of herself. Um, if you, if you want to see Connie's work, just go to, to the New York Times bestseller uh, list and look at the covers. Um, she's guaranteed to have one there. Um, Jacob and Gretchen Radomski. Uh, a church is made uh, vital. The energy comes from the young people. And at Antioch, uh, the 20-somethings in this church uh, owe a lot to the, the relationship and the faithfulness of, of Jacob, Jacob and Gretchen being a friend, a big brother, a big sister uh, for so many years to so many of them and loving them just with, with wide open arms. Um, Rick and Nicole Stilson go along with that. Um, I've never seen a family open their home more regularly. Uh, I don't even think they know anymore when people are going to be in their home. Um, I think there's keys all throughout the city. Um, Aaron Wells, if you've never seen Aaron Wells do the kids' stories uh, or anchor our security team like he used to anchor the defensive line at Oregon State. Um, that, is, that is true anchoring. Um, and uh, speaking of football, Terry and Carol Randstad, um, the tight end from back in the University of Oregon days um, that does so many different things and has done so much uh, at this church, multitasking, relationships, marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, 
and just basically loving people. Um, Chris and Middell Freeze, in the same token, always there to greet people at the door with a warm smile um, and to make you feel like you're at home. Uh, Antioch became cheers when they started doing the door. Um, uh, ben Clausen, one of the hardest jobs uh, setting up and tearing down um, this stage every week. We're a, what we call Tabernacle Church. We don't have a temple. We don't have a building. We have a, we have a tent. It, 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 it comes and goes. And Ben Clausen does a phenomenal, phenomenal job helping with that. Um, and uh, I was thinking this morning of my wife, Tamara. And uh, I'm a complicated individual. Um, and really, the last 10 years have been a show of her faithfulness um, to this church and to these people, the text messages, the meals, the phone calls, the listening. God has given you, Tamara, a humble nobility uh, that I think is remarkable. And uh, And this anniversary is for all of you and so many more um, that I, I wasn't able to mention. It's, it's your anniversary. Um, I'm not choked up now. I'm just trying to get Kip's phone to work. Uh, it, it's his password that I'm having trouble with. Zero. <laughs> Kip, you... you there we go. <laughs> if you want to know, I know Kip's password, and he's going to be on a, a Citigroup commercial before long. Um, Kip, where was it under? Under what? More. No, un where's the app? It's, in, it's, it's buried in a menu, isn't it? It's the only one open. All right. Um, this, is, this is a new toy. It's small. I don't have an iPad, so we're going we're gonna to see how sentences can become symbols. Um, I really only have one thing I want to talk about this morning, and it's, it's the, the gospel. The, what we... What we take to be the gospel, what we take to be the good news, how we frame that in our minds is, is of so much importance, and, and it affects, it, it shapes everything that we do. And I, I think that for a long time, and this is what, what I was exposed to early on, is that the gospel for us began to be uh, the cross, um, the cross that saves me. Is that working? Kind of saves, S for saves. Um, that was the formula. I'm not a big English guy, but I know enough to know there's an object um, that's doing something, and then there's a direct object that's being, having something done to. This is the formula of, of the gospel I was, I was given. The cross it's why we have it on the steeples. It's why it's everywhere we go. It's, it's the object. And what does it do? It saves. 
And who does it save? Well, it saves me. And it's this, this, this picture of the gospel that sounds so familiar and sounds so accurate, yet it's so thin and so inaccurate. What it does is it simply makes it transactional, the cross being the focus, not Jesus on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, or what God was doing with Jesus on the cross. The cross, by the way, is completely arbitrary. God could have put Jesus on a, a, a cold stone slab like Aslan the lion was sacrificed in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. The cross is incredibly symbolic, but it's like a plate is to food. It's, it's not the main thing. But when we draw the cross and we think the cross and we reduce down to just the cross, what does the cross do? The cross performs an action, saving, and who does it save? Well, it saves me. And that becomes the formula, and it becomes incredibly, incredibly consumeristic and simple. And it's inaccurate. What is the gospel story? The gospel story is that God... Is reconciling the world. Now, it would be appropriate to put Jesus here. God is reconciling through Jesus Christ. So that's um, the interesting part of, of the formula is that God sent his son. He didn't send the cross. He sent his son because of his love for the world. So God has a meta-narrative that is good news to us. We, we get to be excited about, about truth, about news, about information that tells us something about the past, the present, and the future of the world. And mainly that, that is that God who created the world is actively regenerating and reconciling that world back to himself through Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we understand that gospel where the cross plays a part, when we're in Christ, we're in the incarnation of Christ, the life, the ministry, the teachings, the death, the resurrection, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the promise that he would return one day in the ascension into heaven, we have all of this Jesus Christ that when we're in him, when we're the church, when we're the body of Christ, that we now participate in. Not just the cross, but all of Jesus when we are in Christ. And so the gospel is cashed out when Paul says God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus and has now given us this ministry of reconciliation. You see, when we're over here, we become takers of grace. Become takers of grace. This is a beautiful, simple story, and I can be reminded every week that I'm safe no matter how bad I am. This is crazy. I get to go to heaven. Um, and it's fun to hear that every single week, but it's very, very simple, and there's no discipleship in that. There's no discipleship in that. We wonder how we got to, to the, the church of today where so many young people are leaving and where, where it just seems so confusing. It's because over and over and over again, all we've done is said that simple message, and there's no teaching there. I was told in seminary that you want to make it simple, you want to make it simple, you want to make it simple about preaching and, and teaching. And I tried that for like a year, and it was awful. It was like, it was awful. And so I stopped doing that. And what I've realized is, is 
that message that has this idea of making the greatest number of people kind of happy because we're going to simplify or oversimplify it, it treats us, it treats me, it treats you as if we're dumb. And if we talk to people as if they're dumb, then we end up with a bunch of dumb people over time. And if we end up with a bunch of dumb people over time, pretty soon we end up with a dumb world over time. And when we end up with a dumb world over time, we lack the ability to truly be witnesses that there's a different kind of way, that God is doing something in this world that's beautiful, that you mean something, that, that he's gifting you, that you can grow and learn, that wisdom and discernment is something you can pursue, and that we don't need cheap pleasure, but somehow in the complicated act of sacrificing, of sacrificial love, of pursuing justice, that somehow there we find our greatest joy. It's a beautiful story, but sometimes it takes teaching that God is reconciling the world to himself, and now we are in, in, out of the world, and in Christ Jesus, and we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And so all of life is us moving out with the sense of adventure, trying to explore what is the beauty that can be created through us, in us, as agents of grace, not just consumers of grace. And so why do we care about... Um, more than just bend. Why do we care about the nation? Why do we care about the world? Because when it's simplistic and we're just takers of grace, all that really matters is our context. And we begin to get caught up in the idea that we have nothing to learn, we only have something to teach. And you wanna know the churches that I think have the worst form of missionaries? are the churches that never actually get outside themselves or, or listen to any other voices, but only send people to go communicate. We're just gonna send you to go teach because we already know the simple message. The cross saves people, it's a transaction. Go and share that with people that they might be transacted. But they never actually understand what's going on in the world or the beauty of a different culture story, or how the Holy Spirit has been there before they arrived on scene. We go out not because we think we're great, we go out because we have so much to learn from the world. Jesus in the New Testament, I mean, think of it. He sits there with the head of the Pharisees and, and, and points to a prostitute and says, if you only understood what she understood, then you would have gotten this night right. You would have gotten this occasion right. You would have gotten your meeting with me right. You have something to learn from her. Jesus says to his other disciples when he brings a tax collector in that I want this guy to be one of my disciples, an apostle to teach. He has something to teach. Jesus uses the Samaritan and the story of the good Samaritan. Why? Because we have something to learn from the Samaritans of the world. Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites because he didn't want to bring the transaction to them. He didn't like them. He was prejudiced against them. He didn't want to bring the transaction to them. And the funny thing is he's sitting there under this bush and God ends up withering the bush away so that he's exposed to the sun and the heat. The funny thing in that whole story was God saying, don't you know that it wasn't just about the transaction that you were bringing? It was about what I'm doing in the Ninevites to reconcile them back to me and to teach you about the gospel because you have a deficient or thin view of the gospel. I know dozens of churches that have existed for over 100 years 
and never had an African-American, Asian-American, Native American speak in their pulpit. And I don't say that to, to draw a comparison. I'm just saying, do you see where our value system is? We don't think we have anything to learn from the world or from other people's perspectives. And if we're not in a posture of learning, we, we begin to slowly reduce down the gospel or the good news to something we think we fully understand or can fully control. Instead of understanding, I'm not going to be able to turn that back on. Um, <laughs> I should just tell you all Kip's password. Um, I wanted to circle the reconcile part a little bit more. <laughs> so you can just... God is the object. The world, all of it, is the direct object. And what he's doing is reconciling us back to him. That involves our salvation, but it also involves how we heal broken relationships, how we handle victims of abuse, how we handle people that have been burned out on religion and don't think that God loves them or has a wonderful plan for their life. Um, there's something about Antioch that has to be true, and, it, and it's simply this, that our gospel story, the story of the good news that we're understanding and trying to learn more about, stretching our minds to learn more about, has to include the love of God for the world that is made manifest in his son, Jesus Christ, and the work that happens in that with us being reconciled and then getting or gaining or having a ministry of reconciliation. Why was it that the New Testament church in Jerusalem never left Jerusalem? Because they began to think it was just about their group, their community, what God was doing in them, and it was complicated. They didn't have any time to go outside of that. So God brought persecution and he said, I'm going to send you out into your backyard. I'm going to send you out into the world. And I'm not just sending you out because my plan is that you would take the message to them, which it is, but I'm also sending you out that you can be cured from thinking that it's all about you. That you can be cured from thinking that the gospel story or grace is a consumer thing to be had, a transaction that we go through. That you can begin to learn that God and his ways are higher than our ways above us and, and beyond our comprehension and that we get to play some small role in what he's doing in the world. And we get to pray for that. We get to join in that. As, as much as we make mistakes here, as much as people come to Bend, join this family, or move, church is a lot like, I'm learning, a lot like family where, where you, you invest into people and then over time they leave on you. Um, because jobs take them elsewhere, or life stages take them elsewhere. And so it's a, con a, a continual joyous celebration of relationship. But the, the crazy thing about deep relationships is that we, you know, like, like with our kids, we can't control them, and ultimately we're going to know the pain of letting them go, but we're somehow connected as family. And no matter where people go, no matter what takes them elsewhere, we're not Antioch because we have a very narrow, tight, thin understanding of what God's doing for us. We're Antioch as part of the global, universal body of Christ 
that exists in a lot of different places and cultures, looks a lot different, acts a lot different, in fact, reads the Bible in a different language, and that we're family with those people. And so we're family not just with those that have been here and then travel somewhere else in the United States, but we're family with churches in Hong Kong, churches in Australia, churches in Africa, and we are knit together as one people, God's people, precious and chosen, that someday we will all gather around that throne, kind of at the culmination of the good news, and we will sing like Kim sang earlier, holy, 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 holy is the lamb that was slain. And that's when we'll begin to realize that it wasn't just about me. And you know what? If it had been just about me, it would have been a pretty lonely and depressing reality. It's actually about us. It's actually about him. It's actually about unity and family as God's people. Father, this is your church. This is your son's church. This is your plan. And I pray that as much as we put our fingerprints on it, that the mistakes we make would be only credited to us, not to you. That what beauty happens in this place, the meaningful things that happen in this place, the love that happens in this place, would be the things that would shine unto you, that would be worship unto you, because we love because you first loved us. There's nothing that we can truly do of spiritual significance but by being made alive in your son, Jesus Christ, and empowered to life with living and beating hearts, that we could be agents of grace, that we could bump into other people and show them just a little bit of what it means to be in relationship, to be called by name, to be known, and to have a future. And we pray that in your son's precious name.